0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts,
1: PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
0: We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. Ah. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. Taxes, taxes, taxes. I hate paying them. You hate paying them. Why do we have to pay so high tax rates? Why are taxes so important to our society? I you want to take a step back. We have a great guest with you that I'm going to air our conversation and share it with you. It's very insightful about taxes in America. But there's two thoughts I want to share with you before we get into that. I want to talk about a history of taxes in America, history of the income tax, history of the sales tax, and a history of how taxes have played a role in public policy. And also, I want to get into the decline of one of the greatest civilizations in the history of the world, ancient Rome. There's a lot we can learn about the decline of ancient Rome. And yes, they also went into taxing their citizenry far too much, and they declined and declined and declined because of that, but for other reasons as well. And so I've been really fascinated with Roman history over the last couple months. And why did Rome fall? I mean, Rome was a city unlike any other. And then the city turned into an empire. It was the Roman Republic for some time. And then, of course, a transition from the Republic to the Empire under Julius Caesar. Once the empire was solidified, there were some terrific emperors. There were five great emperors, uh, ending with Marcus Aurelius. But, of course, there was Caesar Augustus, who famously said, I found Rome, a city of bricks, and I left it a city of marble. Rome was the center of the world. So how did Rome fall? How did the city that gave us the aqueduct, a lot of modern math and science, the greatest standing army in the history of the world to its date that touched every single corner of the known world from Africa to even what we now know as Britain to all to the Far East. Why did Rome crumble? How did it crumble? And how do superpowers fall? And so one of the interesting things that I discovered in my research is as Rome, Rome continued to expand. One of the reasons why Rome fell was a wall. I might say, what do you mean a wall? Well, the creation of the Great Wall of China actually prevented Mongol invaders to go after the Han Dynasty in China, which redirected a lot of the invasions to go west instead of east. It created a domino effect of sorts, which displaced tribes and migration, which instead of going east towards China, went to overrun the Western Roman Empire, which actually transitions to a very important learning moment for those of us that care about history. To know the road ahead, ask those coming back. I also want to give a shout out to one of my all-time favorite people, Bill Federer, AmericanMinute.com. He's going to be coming on our show and he supplies me with these nuggets of information so often and gives me a lot of wisdom and a lot of depth of where we have come from as a civilization you'll be really blessed by his work so as migration started to move west instead of east rome had an open border problem sound familiar illegal immigrants started to pour across the roman borders you had the franks you had the saxons you had the Burgundians, you had the lombards the Alans, the vandals all flowing into the roman empire Will and Ariel Durant famously wrote in The Story of Civilization, which was published in 1944, quote, If Rome had not engulfed so many men of alien blood in so brief a time, if she passed all these newcomers through her schools instead of her slums, if she had treated them as men with a hundred potential excellences, and if she had occasionally closed her gates to let assimilation catch up with infiltration... She might have gained a new racial and literary vitality from the infusion and might have remained a Roman Rome, the voice and the citadel of the West. Maybe there's, some, maybe there's some wisdom we can learn from there. Maybe there's some takeaways. The second thing that struck me about the fall of Rome that I think can be very instructive, especially for the United States of America today, was their loss of a common language. I believe for people to exist as a nation, they need to have things in common. Historically, one of the most basic features was a common language. When people first came to Rome, they would learn Latin. But as these immigrants coming from the Far East to the West, they came faster and faster, and they did not learn Latin. Instead, they kind of created their own language. It was Roman Latin, or it was mixed with a form of Latin with their native language. And that's where we get French from, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Romanian. All of the Romantic languages originally stem from Latin. The unity of the Roman Empire began to dissolve because they could not clearly communicate. Looking to today's time, I argue that English should be the official language of the United States, bar none, period, end of story, and it is not the case today. Another really interesting reason was the welfare state. So starting about 123 BC, the immensely powerful Roman politician Gaius Gracchus began appeasing citizens with welfare. Basically a monthly dole. It was the Roman equivalent of universal basic income. This guy was Andrew Yang ahead of his time. And so the Roman poet Juvenal, about 100 A.D., described how Roman emperors controlled the masses by bread and circus. So this is nothing new as we see today. We say we don't want people to get addicted to government. We want people to get off of government programs. Well, when they said bread and circus, of course, they meant bread being government assistance or the dole, and circus meaning the violent entertainment which was provided to the masses in the Circus Maximus and the Colosseum. People were so ignorant and obsessed with the self-gratification, self-indulgence culture that they'd be distracted about how corrupt their leaders were. Juvenal continued, quote, tyrants would distribute largesse. A bushel of wheat, a gallon of wine, and a cistern, and everyone would shamelessly cry, Long live the king. Cicero, who was one of the most instrumental and instructive individuals that helped build Western society, wrote, He was Roman consul for one year. I mention him in my book, Maga Doctrine. He wrote, quote, The evil was not in bread and circuses per se, but in the willingness of the people to sell their rights, and for free men, for full bellies, and the excitement of the games which would serve to distract them from the other human hungers with bread and circuses, can never appease. One of my favorite writers out there, Lawrence Reed from the Foundation of Economic Education, he looks at Rome as a very important warning point in history towards America. As they had an expanding welfare state, they also subsidized grain and gave it away at half price, similar to what we do here in our country. But to appease angry voters, emperors gave away or subsidize even more than that, olive oil, salt, and pork, people lined up to get free stuff. This idea of being addicted to government is nothing new. The Roman Empire had more power than any other empire to date, more medical advances, more scientific advancements. They were on pace for ingenuity and for flourishing the likes of which no one could have comprehended for the time. But now we look at lack of language, illegal immigration, government addiction, something very interesting to look at as a corollary to where we are now as you know there's no nba nhl or major league baseball you might think there's nothing to bet on but you'd be wrong our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of events games and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing the vegas to you do you miss the NFL, no problem. Bet online is daily. Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. If you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Big Brother, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Egan contest, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. I can't wait to see Joe Burrow play for the Cincinnati Bengals. I can't wait to finally see LeBron James choke in the NBA Finals. And I can't wait to see the L.A. Dodgers blow a lead that they probably had to just dig so deep to go back to Choke City, LA Dodgers. They can't win the big one, practice. So be ready to be able to wager on the Cubs winning the World Series, the Ducks winning the college football playoff. These things matter because sports are coming back. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, at Podcast One, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses of the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure that promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Visit Bet Online at Don't forget the promo code Podcast One for your sign up bonus. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. Another interesting reason as I study and I dive into Rome, and again, I want to give a shout out to my friend Bill Frederick, AmericanMinute.com, who's really helped me guide through a lot of this and process it, was also violent entertainment, slavery, and child sex trafficking. So we all know about the Colosseum, which was the circus maximus essentially of the time. They packed huge crowds and up until about 400 A.D., gladiators were fighting to the death. Commodus, who was the son of Marcus Aurelius, one of the worst emperors in the history of the Roman Empire, he held a show in the Colosseum at which he personally killed five hippos, two elephants, a rhinoceros, and a giraffe. The value of human life was next to nothing. Slavery and sex trafficking abounded, especially of captured peoples from Eastern Europe. Slavs, which meant, quote, glorious, came to have the inglorious meaning of a permanent servant or slave, which is from the book Great Ages on the 18th page. I just want to make sure I reference it correctly. Another really interesting reference point is Gerald Simons wrote in The Great Ages of Man, Barbarian Europe, he said this, in the casual public spectacles in a rampant immorality that even Christianity could not check. So you kind of look at America today. Child sex trafficking is on the increase on the southern border. We have more violent imagery than ever before in real type of entertainment. And I'm not totally opposed to all that. I love UFC and I love boxing. I love all that. I love wrestling. But there's something interesting as I start to go down the list of what contributed to the fall of Rome. It should really hit every single American and every Western lover at a very deep and personal level. Additional one that really struck me was the church withdrawal from involvement. So essentially a pietism movement swept the church. It taught that the true way to follow Jesus Christ was to withdraw from public involvement, give away all your money, and live as a poor beggar or join a monastery. It was an early version of what would now be called separation of church and state, but it was basically a retreat back into not being proud of your Christianity and instead going into the hills and being less than front-facing about your love for Jesus Christ. And the church— became reclusive. And it wasn't until Emperor Constantine, who founded the great Byzantine Empire, Byzantium, around 300 AD, where he recognized the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Holy City of Jerusalem, did Christians really have a clear call to action to come out of the crypts, to come out of the shadows, and proclaim from the rooftops their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As I go into this, I hope that you can start to draw very specific lessons of how to apply America. There's a couple more I want to go into, but it should ask yourself the question, do we want to go the way of Rome? Do we want to go the way of the broken Roman Empire? Roman families were having fewer children as well. This could kind of go under the category of Planned Parenthood, declining birth rates, birth control. Up until about 374 AD, when a Roman mother bore a child, she would lay the infant at the father's feet. If he picked it up, they would keep it. If he did not, and he felt that there was some financial burden or he looked unhealthy, they would literally bring the child out to the woods and let it die. Early Christians condemned this practice because it was a violation of the teachings of Jesus Christ. But quite honestly, that was their equivalent of abortion back then. Not having a value of every single human life They didn't have the medical sophistication to be able to withdraw or terminate the child in the womb, so instead they would just leave it in the woods, or unfortunately other Roman children were sold into slavery. So because of this declining birth rates, the rich didn't want to have all these kids running around. Therefore, the less advanced cultures would have eight, nine, ten kids per family, and they would inevitably overrun the more advanced ones. Julius Caesar noticed this trend and attempted to counter it, and basically said that family limitation was playing a role in the decline of Rome. It's kind of amusing to find that Julius Caesar is the one advocating for this, because he was the one that would offer rewards to Romans who had many children and forbidding childless women to ride in litters or wear jewelry. Augustus renewed this campaign some 40 years later with like futility. Birth control continued to spread all across the upper middle class, And what I mean by birth control is they would literally place children in the woods if they did not want them. If you excavated certain Roman structures and prior to that Greek structures under what they would consider to be the temple on the basement level, we have found to this day cemeteries of bones of infant children. Instead of the woods, sometimes they would sacrifice the children because they thought it would give them some form of power that transitions to the other, the immorality, the infidelity, the loss of virtue. Rome started to become a complete and total amoral society. It was full of gluttony, infidelity, sexual immorality. The bathhouses were rampant with all sorts of questionable behavior, questionable on being very generous, things that none of us would want to talk about publicly. So as Roman virtue declined, other and unacceptable and questionable behavior spread throughout the Roman Empire. And this transitions to also one of my favorite quotes ever from Cicero. He said, the more laws, the less justice. And Cornelius Tactus also wrote, the more corrupt the state, the more numerous the laws. Very similar, kind of a tangential quote, similar idea. Rome also descended into huge class warfare, rich versus poor. Elites versus the middle class, turning people against each other, similar to how the American left wants to today. Inner cities were destabilized. They were plagued with lead poisoning as the plumbing that brought water in the city was made out of lead pipes. They didn't know what lead poisoning was back then. And then finally, Rome started to raise taxes, which is the big theme of what we're talking about today. Taxes can start revolutions like the American Revolution. Taxes can change people's behavior, and it can decline civilizations into ruin. Rome decided to begin to raise taxes. Welfare and government jobs exploded, especially with emperors wanting to honor themselves with leaving legacies of massive public building projects, kind of similar to U.S. senators that want highways named after each other. Taxes became totally unbearable as, quote, collectors became greedy, functionaries in a bureaucracy so huge and corrupt, end quote. Tax collectors were described by the historian Salvian as, quote, more terrible than the enemy. Rome had a tax for everything, and it was always applied subjectively. You don't agree with the emperor on this? We're going to tax you on that. The spirit of any form of liberty had fled. Avoiding any sort of decency of a society, taxes were used to be able to deteriorate the Roman spirit and the Roman empire productivity was penalized tax collectors were given the ultimate authority to be able to go after enemies of the state and it became so unlivable that anyone that dared to not pay their taxes were accused by the deep state equivalent of Roman politicians and it was the deep state politicians that were pushing these taxes and rome also had a deep state rome had Senators that literally conspired for the death of Julius Caesar. That was the first deep state. The OG deep state, the first deep state, was Brutus conspiring with fellow senators to kill a good emperor in Julius Caesar. Not a perfect one, but a good one. Roman also overextended their military, and they cut their defense. They decided to to declare war on distant lands, and they raised taxes to try to pay for it. Plato used to always write, the tyrant must always be getting up a war. And boy, is that true. Bad emperors started to use wars as a reason to try to justify national morale and spirit. Someone had to pay for it, so they decided to continue to institute unfair taxes. Rome started to lose their patriotism. No one spoke the same language. Weakness invited distant terrorist attacks. And despite all this, Rome lasted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so you had the open borders, the loss of a common language, a welfare state. You had violent entertainment and sex trafficking. The church was not present in the public square. The birth control equivalent of Planned Parenthood, where you had babies that were just totally disregarded in society, immorality, infidelity, class warfare, outsourcing, exploding debt. We just created $6 trillion of debt recently with the last stimulus bill. $6 trillion of debt, a massive increase of debt. Debt is a slavery of the free. One can be only as free as the debts that they owe. Outsourcing, Rome decided to outsource all their labor to cheaper labor markets so that the elites in Rome could enjoy a flow of goods that allowed them to make their luxurious standard of living possible. The deep state politicians that were going after people they disagreed with are literally killing them in the case of Julius Caesar exploding debt also deteriorated the Roman currency. There were defense cuts all over, wars that they couldn't win, lands that they would never govern, loss of patriotism, terrorist attack after terrorist attack, and Rome crumbled. Do you owe money for student loan debt? Are you being crushed by the cartel of the colleges? Do you have a grandson, granddaughter, son or daughter? That do not know what they are going to do with their student loan debt that's just keeping them up at night. Well, guess what? There is a path forward. It's called Credible.com. It's an online marketplace that gets you pre qualified student loan refinancing rates from up to 10 different lenders. They are a shopping market to get you out of debt. They help people get out of student loan debt, and if you've got student loan debt, you could benefit. With a lower rate, you could save on interest and lower your monthly payment. It's cash in your pocket, money in your pocket. With a shorter loan term, you could get debt-free faster. Consolidate all your student loan bills in one place. Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much better their lives have been after refinancing their student loans. On Credible, you see actual pre-qualified rates from up to 10 different lenders, whereas some other marketplaces, you only get a range of rates or ballpark estimates. Guess what? It only takes a couple minutes to check rates. You can get a student loan debt. Again, if you have student loan debt, why are you not going to Credible.com? It's the way to get out. Checking rates does not impact your credit. They'll never sell your data, so you won't receive spam and phone calls from dozens of lenders. So please visit Credible.com slash Charlie. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash C-H-A-R-L-I-E. When you refinance your student loans, using this link, they'll give you a $200 gift card. That's Credible.com slash Charlie. Credible.com slash Charlie. Rome still impacts our society today. Some of the great thinkers of Rome, Cicero being one, Marcus Aurelius, which started Stoicism Is a learning point and aspect. So, as we talk about taxes, when we talk about how they impact us, taxes played a huge role in every single one of these things that I mentioned. Because they had to raise taxes to compensate for their open borders and their weakness and their loss of patriotism and their foreign wars. Rome, the greatest empire that was created to that day that was beyond anything anyone could imagine, they fell. They transitioned from a republic to an empire. Will America go the same way? We have very important discussion about taxes. But remember, originally in Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution, it prohibited a direct federal income tax on American citizens. We originally funded our government through tariffs. Of course, we eventually changed that. And we were able to, during the Civil War, Republican President Abraham Lincoln passed an emergency revenue income tax to help raise $750 million to fund the union. That was repealed in 1873. It was discussed in the courts for many years through the industrialist era, but finally around World War I, Democrat President Woodrow Wilson, he thought that there would be world peace if we were able to get rid of the tariff taxes and have income taxes. This was foolishness. Eventually, they passed an income tax with the, uh, in 1913 with the 16th Amendment. Originally, the income tax was a 1% tax on the top 1% of richest people. Isn't that amazing how things descended from there? The industrialist families were, of course, Rockefeller, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, Fisk, Flagler, Gould, Harriman, Mellon, J.P. Morgan, and Schwab. The industrialists strategically avoided paying the income tax by transferring their assets in a tax-exempt charitable and educational foundation, some of which still do some very good things to this day. This tax-exempt category, by the way, unlike some of the ruling class today, they actually spent the money domestically to help build hospitals, churches, soup kitchens, things that we still appreciate very much today. But as decades went on, we had higher taxes, higher taxes, and higher taxes. We had the Social Security tax. We had the FICA tax. Now you have a state income tax. You have a death tax. You have a sales tax. There's a sin tax. There's a travel tax. There's a capital gains tax. There's an inheritance tax. There's an income tax. There's a form of a value-added tax. There's a payroll tax and a property tax. And that doesn't even count all of them. Those are just the big, basic categories. We are taxed enough already. And President Trump has heroically lowered taxes. The Laffer curve started in the 1980s where Art Laffer projected that if you actually lower taxes, you can boost government revenues. And he was proven correct. Recently, Art Laffer was heralded by President Trump and given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Ruling class tyrants and autocrats that want power will use taxes as a way to keep you down and keep themselves in power, just like ancient Rome. There's been tax increases and tax cuts all throughout the years. but Politicians use it as a way to keep themselves in to power. Remember, you can go to the extreme. Vladimir Lenin wanted to institute a plan and actually eventually did through Stalin, eliminating business owners, which he, of course, called the bourgeoisie. He said this, the way to crush the bourgeoisie is to grind them between the millstones of taxation and inflation. Boy, those should be troubling words. Those should just be chilling. And remember, Lenin used to consider socialism a transition phase from capitalism to communism, stating, quote, the goal of socialism is communism, class warfare, class struggle to overthrow governments. Remember, that was part of the Roman list that I mentioned previously. So as we talk about taxes and as we talk about the power of taxes to go after businesses and entrepreneurs, it's very important as we talk about a phase five stimulus bill. What are we trying to accomplish? Do we want to get America back to work? Do we want to get 37 million people back to the labor force? Do we want to get back to greatness? Or are we going to go to the way of ancient Rome, of open borders, loss of language, welfare, state, withdrawal of the church, Planned Parenthood, having more funding, more abortions, immorality, class warfare, outsourcing high taxes, exploding debt, deteriorated currency, an emaciated military, a loss of presence amongst our country, loss of patriotism, and total rebellion from within against our country. I refuse to let America to go to the way of Rome. Know your history to plan the future. There's a reason why they don't teach you this in schools. Because if they taught every single person this in schools, you would be outraged about what's happening now, and you would throw these tyrants out of office. It is the tyrants that are raising your taxes. Look at your paycheck right now, if you're a young person. That 8% FICA tax is theft. Taxation is theft. This is an amazing conversation I'm so honored to share with you. Email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com. It's with a friend of mine, Julio Gonzalez, engineered tax services. He understands the tax code. He fought for the Trump tax cut. Make a commitment today to understand how Roman greatness fell into despair and destruction. Are you going to let that happen in America? Will this be a moment generationally? We look to history and we say we will not let that happen here. Enjoy this conversation, everybody. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. I'm honored to be joined with a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, someone who's been very supportive of Turning Point USA and the efforts we have here on The Charlie Kirk Show, Julio Gonzalez, who is the CEO of Engineered Tax Services. There's so much complexity when it comes to the U.S. tax code. We have so many younger listeners that sometimes don't understand the significance of federal tax law and how it impacts them. Julio, welcome to the program. First, introduce yourself a little bit to our audience about what you do, how you do it, and the significance of the work that you do in the tax and public policy space.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for letting me be here. I'm so proud of what you guys are accomplishing. And, you know, job well done there. You. you know, we are the largest specialty tax firm in the country. We do tax credits. They help keep people employed, bring jobs back to America. And we're really proud of that. We probably generate about Two billion a month in tax credits associated with being employed in the U.S. with U.S. labor, and so and beyond that, I'm always working up in D.C. with Congress in the House, in the Senate, with the administration on different tax policy issues, making sure that our tax policy stays great and that it continues to help our economy.
0: So Hulu, you were very involved in the Trump tax cut, the biggest middle-class tax cut in American history, back in the 2017-2008 of 2018, I should say, 2017, 2018, bu- budget reconciliation fight around the tax cuts. Can you talk about how involved you were, what you were fighting for and the significance of that federal tax reform was for our country?
1: Well, really, it was fighting for lower income tax rates. You know, right before that, we didn't get the health care bill done, right? So that was kind of a strike one and we needed to get something done. And it was gonna be a close call on tax reform too. Were we gonna get that done? Were we gonna have someone that voted no at the last second and you know be o for two? So it was critical that we got tax reform done. So basically, really you were up there negotiating, you know, with the House, with the Senate, with everyone in there on ways and means and Senate finance to come up with a bill that ultimately could get passed. And really that was the key is You know, getting something done. We wanted to basically lower the income tax rates. But as you know, when tax reform is getting done, people are up there lobbying for their interests and for their, you know, industries. And so, you know, basically it was doing the math, coming up with a way that the partnership between businesses, individuals, and this government was much improved as it was not over those past decade and making that better so that everyone could grow in this economy.
0: That's well stated. People have to realize that when we have tax cuts, it's so much more efficient in a variety of ways than forcibly taxing the money and then redistributing it. A tax cut, the money's already there in the market. So when you're able to lower taxes, you are able to spur economic growth and economic productivity. Right now, we're going through unprecedented economic uncertainty. We had the greatest economy in American history the president did a phenomenal job of building america to greatness now we have a little we had a little bit of a hiccup and i think we're in this transition back to greatness i want to talk to you about something julio that struck my eye the new york times reported the following yesterday larry kudlow discussed extending the immediate deduction provision known as full expensing it to structures allowing anyone who buys a building to write off its cost right away the tax foundation in washington which analyzes the tax proposals and tends to find high economic effects from tax cuts, estimates that such an expansion would reduce federal revenues by $1.6 trillion over a decade, according for additional growth. Can you explain what this is, Julio? And are you opposed to this? Or are you in support of this?
1: Well, listen, I'm sure that it's well-intended, but I am definitely against it. And I'll tell you why, because I don't think it's a good message, Charlie, to, you know, tell everyone out there that we're going to give 2000000 million. We're going to take that away from Treasury. That could go anywhere else. It could go to small businesses. It could go to uh, payroll tax holiday. It could go to employment tax credits. And we're going to give this write-off to billionaire real estate people that won't bring jobs back. And although, again, maybe well intended, I don't think it's going to serve the purpose. And I think it's ultimately not going to be a good message for the party. And I think we're coming into elections. And I think that telling people that the billionaires are getting a tax write-off, they'll never pay taxes again because they immediately get to buy a property for $10 million. But you know, most of that's debt, right? And then write it off. We did this, Charlie. Let me say this. We did this in the 80s. We tried this. We went to a meeting expensing of real estate in the 80s. And what happened? Everyone out leveraged the buildings, had a big write-off. It became a huge tax loophole. The industry crashed. The bank's crashed. And every time the bank has to reserve $1 for a bad real estate loan, they have to take out $40 of the system, which could go to small business administrate, to any small business. So it's, uh, I think, a terrible plan that didn't work before. It wouldn't work again. And I don't think it's a good message for the party.
0: So you, um, you're you also looking out for the president's best interest. Basically, you're saying we must protect the president here to not fall into a trap where they can accuse him of just looking out for the interests of the wealthy, the few, and the well-connected. Um, I, I know that you have discussed this issue with Steve Moore and other people, um, and I think there's a sense of urgency behind a new stimulus bill. Julio, you understand the tax complexity and the tax code. There are people hurting listening to this podcast right now. We are getting flooded with emails, Julio, at our email, freedom com, of people that have lost their jobs, people that have had their businesses totally shattered. Julio, you're instrumental. You talk to the president. You talk to members of Congress. What are you pushing for in this new stimulus bill from a tax code policy standpoint that our listeners can get behind?
1: Well, I think what we have to do is stop the payments going out the 600 every week to people to not work. Right. I think we got to take that away. I mean, obviously, Nancy wants that in the bill. She put that out. She wants to go bail out all the different states as well. So we can't let that happen. But what we do have to do is give employers an incentive to hire the unemployed. And we have to have the unemployed have an incentive to go back to work. And if we come up with that kind of tax law and incentives, that's the plan we need to do. Because, Charlie, we're running out of time. we got to get the GDP turned around, right? we got to get out of the recession. we got to grow in August, September, so that come elections... We have a whole different third quarter and fourth quarter this year.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And the only way we're going to get this economy the way we need it to go is not more infrastructure deficit spending. And I do support some form of infrastructure bill. However, I'm a little hesitant to get behind that, Julio, because of the waste and the fraud and the abuse that would be behind it if if the Democrats really had their way. I think a much better way of addressing this would be a pro-growth tax cut bill that would empower workers and empower employers. And so you are one that really understands how that all works. Can we just take a step back? Can you talk about the economic significance of tax cuts for students listening to this podcast that might be taught by their teachers and taught by their professors that tax cuts don't work, they only go to the rich, and that we need more government spending? Can you help respond to that?
1: Yeah. And I can tell you, when we did tax reform, our goal was to lower the income tax rates. When you're in business, you're a partner with the government, Government, and that partnership needs to be a great one, right? It has to be one that's mutually beneficial. Was it Was not under Obama? Not at all. We couldn't even save any money because we had such high tax rates. We had so much regulation that we couldn't grow our businesses. We didn't know how to grow. We just had no ability to do so. And then we had the constraint of health care on us. So... President Trump comes in, lowers the income tax rates for individuals, for companies. So now we can invest. So he removes a lot of the regulation. He puts up these tariffs with China, right, who gave us the virus and helped us, you know, so that we could finally compete here in the United States. We could bring businesses back. We could bring jobs back because now we're competitive. We have a competitive income tax rate. You know, it's not only federal, right, but the state. Why, why do some states like Illinois, right, that you know very well, New York, they can't compete, right? Because they have high income tax rates, but they love Florida. They love Texas, right? Because we're more fiscally responsible.
0: Yeah, I I am from Illinois. And in a previous podcast, Julio, I I put them on full trial. I did a trial for the state of Illinois as if I was the prosecution to try to essentially put forth the verdict that they have abused and used the people of Illinois. I'm proud to be from Illinois. But I'm saddened by what's happened. It's all because of bad tax policy, corrupt politicians, extracting wealth from the people. Now I'm a resident of the state of Florida. So you and I are both Floridians. And the coolest part of my annual income tax reconciliation, 0% that I owe to Tallahassee, 0% of my income every single year. Julio, you are in Florida. Can you talk a little bit about the competition between the states? Are you seeing a lot of people come to Florida? Are you seeing positive movement? obviously prior to the virus. And, you know, we have to kind of preface it with that. But do you see a good amount of -of out-of-staters now looking at Florida as a pro-growth, low-tax opportunity state?
1: You know, I can tell you that all my clients are looking at Florida, whether they're coming from Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, California. It's something that you have to look at. Even Tesla wants to get out of California, right? Even and they want to move out because it's too hard to pay the taxes. And look, everyone's moving out, so the deficits in those states get bigger. So what do they do? Raise taxes again. But all they do, Charlie, is drive out the people that can't pay taxes, and that's why the deficit gets bigger. That's why you see these, you know, New York now, they have the carbon dining tax. They have the golf playing tax. They have every tax you can imagine. They created 112 new taxes Chicago, Illinois created 140 new taxes over the last 12 months because they have this huge deficit. And ultimately, you know, so they keep taxing and keep taxing. People keep leaving.
0: Even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's mother left New York for Florida because of taxes. So it goes to show that, you know, tax policy can be a huge indicator on human movement and individual freedom. Getting in shape doesn't have to be about losing a specific amount of weight or a magic number on the scale. It's about building healthier habits and feeling better about yourself. If fitting into that favorite pair of jeans is your goal, great. But there are many reasons you might want to practice self-care, and every person is different. You might want to be able to run a marathon. You might just want to lose 10 or 15 pounds. Noom, N-O-O-M, is the way to do that because everyone is different. Noom adjusts your lifestyle. They teach you psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyzing your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers. So, you have all the support you need to empower your change. There's physical, psychological, and social ways to get this done better self care, feeling confident in clothing, more energy, or just an overall better feel about yourself. You can integrate Noom into your life. You trust yourself to make good choices. There's specific lessons you learned about psychology or habits, these of just 10 minutes a day, they will help you get your goals done. No food is good or bad or off limits. Noom teaches moderation and can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing popular diets if you want. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Chat with your goal specialist and Noom community to get and give help to people going through the same things. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today. Noom.com slash Charlie. noo dot com slash Charlie. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash charlie to start your free trial today. That's com slash charlie. I want to talk about a piece, Julio, that you wrote uh, in Forbes. And we mentioned this before, but you said, why 100% immediate expensing would do more harm than good? I want to talk about this more broadly, Julio, which is um, a lot of times we get accused as being just defenders of the wealthy and the few and the well-connected are there specific policies that you support, specific types of tax policy that you believe will really help a middle-class revolution? Um, And are there type of taxes that, quite honestly, tax proposals that you say, you know, I don't think I'm totally in support of that because it would be too beneficial to the the rich and the few and the well-connected disproportionately?
1: Yeah, no question. I think that, you know, when we have immediate expensing of equipment and things that small businesses can invest in to make money and certainly I agree with that because these assets they wear and tear they have depreciation and basically are used up but when you have immediate expensing for real estate which earns income has appreciation and then you get to expense it all up front which is heavily leveraged I think that's not good policy now you know the president is saying let's have the payroll tax holiday for individuals and for businesses and certainly that would help boost economy and help people hire people. He also talked about specific industries, right? We used to have what was called mills and entertainment expensing, right? Through our taxes, which was taken away. But now he's saying, bring that back so that we can go out and support the hotels. We can go back to the restaurants. We can dine. We can do those and have certain expenses that obviously would incentivize us to get back to that, get back to traveling, which we have to do. We have to get back to work. We have to get back to traveling. We have to bring this back to get to the economy going again.
0: So you um You've seen the firsthand damage that the lockdowns have done, and we on the Charlie Kirk Show we've been focusing on the difference between saying that the virus has shut down our country. No, it was the lockdown that shut down our country. It was a reaction to the virus. The state of Florida has done amazingly well. Governor Ron DeSantis has led brilliantly. More of a population than the state of New York, amazingly, despite having more people, far less deaths. Actually, a fraction of the deaths of New York New York State respecting civil liberties, opening before New York. It's been incredible. A lot of the proposals right now on Capitol Hill are being floated around payroll taxes. Would you think it's better to eliminate the payroll tax or to give a holiday on it? Or do you think that it's not a good approach to try to get rid of payroll taxes?
1: Well, you know, it's the worst of the two evils, right? I mean, if you take away that money from Treasury, obviously we put social security at risk. But do you take it away hoping that that money comes back you know charlie what we saw with tax reform was that we lowered the income tax rate so everyone said that there was going to be less money going into the treasury less money going into the irs but what happened it went up why because people were working people were paying more taxes into the system and every month since tax reform happened more money went into the system not less like every liberal said would happen right because why People are paying less taxes, but everyone was working, right? More people, less unemployment. And that's the math, right? And that's the simple math. And I think that's right.
0: So as I was mentioning, you know, the, the difference between Florida and New York, we have some numbers here just to, sh- just to kind of complete the point. Florida's population is 22 million. New York's population is 19.5 million. Florida has a 0% income tax. New York has an 8% income tax. Governor of Florida, of course, is a Republican. Governor of New York is Andrew Cuomo, the Democrat. Florida had 50,000 virus cases. New York had 366,000 that we know of. Florida had about 2,200 deaths. New York had 29,000 deaths. I mean, look at the difference between the leadership of the state of Florida and the state of New York. It's so significant, and it is so distinct. And so I do want to also ask you about this, Julio, which is, Can you debunk the idea that tax reform, the 2017-2018 Trump tax cut, was only a tax break for the wealthy? Our listeners email us about this all the time. You helped push for this. You helped, I don't want to say lobby, but you helped really put energy behind it. Can you help debunk the idea that that tax cut was only for the wealthy?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, we were able to lower the income tax rates for the individuals as well as the small businesses and obviously when we did that not only were people paying less taxes about 2000 per household but they were also able to get better pay from the companies that were able to conserve because they had less taxes and ultimately we removed the regulations and that helped as well so ultimately you know people were making more spending more on the economy and that was really one of the tensions but I will say this Charlie president didn't want to stop with the tax reform act right He felt like tax reform should be something we do all the time. You know, we make changes and then we see how it happens. You see tax reform happens every 30 years. So it's difficult to always change taxes, right? Because it's tough to get everything through the House and through Senate. But, you know, President want tax reform 2.0, right, to start focusing in on the individuals and start bringing those tax rates down as well. So for him, it never ends. It's like always constantly making things better, always improving things. And that's really what he was behind. And uh, so he hadn't stopped. I mean, tax reform 1.0 was just the start of it for him.
0: I, I think that's a, that's a great point. And so, so, Julio, do you think as you start to project and see things moving forward, do you think that we are on this transition back to greatness? How do you see things progressing? And do you think heading into the election, we are on a good trajectory to get us back to an econo- economic renaissance and an economic recovery for the future.
1: Fortunately, I think the the future looks bright. I think fortunately we had a great economy coming into this, the best you know ever, and we were able to get through it. I think the president did a great job with the CARES Act and some of the things that we did there to accomplish helping keep small business open. And Florida's back and open. And if if we're the recipe for getting this country going again, I mean listen, Charlie, I mean, I think people are keeping their social distancing. I think they're being careful. I think they're practicing good health. But ultimately, it's like normal business down here in West Palm Beach. And, you know, I think people feel great about it here. I think we're seeing the stock market reflect that this morning, right, that people are feeling really good about us coming back. And we're seeing that there's going to be some cures here pretty shortly, I think.
0: Totally. So I think that, you know, as we hone in, on the path forward. I think it's so important that people understand the significance of how taxes play a role into it. And Congress is so into the weeds on this. And a change in just a couple tax percentages or tax points can make a massive difference. Um, But why is it that the Democrats and the people on the left are refusing to make tax cuts permanent for middle class and individuals? I mean, have you seen this play an impact on middle-class workers, and business individuals? And what kind of explanation is there? Because Julio, I see this really contributing to us getting back to greatness in our country.
1: But you're certainly right, Charlie. When you don't have anything permanent and you're constantly unsure as an individual or as a business, that makes it very difficult, especially a business when you don't know what to spend because you have tax extenders and things that aren't permanent, same as the individual side. So I think getting taxes to be a permanent thing with permanent rates, so that we know what we're doing, know how we're able to take our deductions, and know how much ultimately we can put into the GDP. I think is really important.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt, totally. So you know, all that we're put, you know, just we're pushing for the tax reduction and a rest- restoration of economic bro- growth and economic productivity. And we talk about a lot here that free enterprise capitalism is the most moral, proven, and effective economic system ever discovered and so you start to see that capital flows can really start to be disrupted when the socialists and the leftists start to get involved are you worried are you worried julio that some of the pushes in dc and some of the pushes by the radical democrats right now are trying to get in the way of that and trying to see that the tax rates that might be put you know to to raise taxes could actually confiscate some of the the hard-earned income of individuals all across the country. What what are your clients saying to you, Julio? What are the small businesses owner owners telling you that they're most worried about heading into this year?
1: Charlie, they can't compete with higher income tax rates. We just came out of that through the Obama era where we couldn't compete, and we can't compete against international small business. It's too difficult when the income tax rates are that high and when we have too much regulation. And to go back to that just would mean that we would go back to that Really terrible economy where we're not hiring, we're not growing our companies, and that really is the bottom line. We saw how well it worked with tax reform. We saw this economy get to its all-time greatest. Minorities at the highest employment rate ever. That's a big win. And uh, to uh, change that and go back to old school would just be just terrible.
0: And so I, I think Julia, that's such an important point because as we try to know the road ahead, we have to look backwards and see in a lot of ways, not necessarily backwards, but look retrospectively and see the success that we've had previously and see that we are able to build the greatest economy in American history, see that we are able to have the lowest ever black unemployment, lowest ever Hispanic unemployment, lowest ever Asian American unemployment, lowest ever black poverty rate. And so the economy is the engine that keeps the country going. It's the greatest poverty elimination program in the history of the country. It is the most successful program. It's the most. It's the best way to essentially get individuals to flourish to their highest possible level. Joe Biden's presidency, in my opinion, would literally eliminate the potential return back to greatness. It was the Obama-Biden economy that needed a turnaround from it, and we don't need a round two. Julio, can you tell us the difference between managing people's taxes and understanding the asset flow's the economy of the difference between the Obama-Biden economy and the Trump economy.
1: I'll tell you, if that came back with Biden, I mean, it would be mass exodus. You know, again, Charlie, people and businesses have choices. And we saw under the Obama era that when the income tax rates were high, the regulations were high, they went offshore, they went other places, and so did the individuals as well. You know, the tech companies, when we have bad tax policy, they take their employees and put them offshore where there 's higher r and d tax credits where there 's less taxes and we lose those jobs we lose those key core jobs that we finally just brought back we 're straining to bring back all this industry, manufacturing again at its all time high, especially in the midwest where now we 're redoing and we 're mining again we 're doing all these different things and uh, you know to to change that and go back to the obama days I mean it would basically I think would be mass exodus for all all business.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. And Joe Biden was an expert at exporting our jobs to China. He was phenomenal at being able to pander the Chinese Communist Party to focus on the deindustrialization on America, not in a positive way. But it seems that Joe Biden, despite representing himself as someone that is a voice of the middle class, as a voice of the working class, as a voice of Scranton, Pennsylvania was the exact opposite. So Julio, in the couple minutes we have remaining, what are the big takeaways you want our listeners to advocate for in the public policy space? You are a well-respected expert on tax policy. You're actually in the weeds around what you do at Engineered Tax Services. What, What are some things that you think our listeners should really take away when it comes to fighting for lower taxes, advocating for the president, and understanding the power of the free enterprise system?
1: good point i mean listen i think when president trump got into office i don't know that everything all these tax reform changes were what he was focused on he was his key thing was bring down income tax rates bring them down for the businesses bring them down for the individuals remove regulations and let us be competitive globally and that worked and and so you know for everyone out there I think we have to fight for that because we saw the results of that. We saw the low unemployment. We saw an economy at an all time high. We saw earning power at an all time high. And that's what was doing it. Well, that's, you know, it's, it really comes down to the low income tax rates, you know, the less regulation, but a businessman that understands business more than anything and runs the country like a business. I mean, you know, if we just look at it, I think every business owner and every individual runs their own business, which is themselves. You know, we understand what's good for ourselves and what's good for our business, and we understand what works. And I think we were seeing that with President Trump.
0: I agree. Well, Julio, this has been a great discussion. Uh, Engineered tax services. I encourage everyone to check it out. Thank you for joining The Charlie Kirk Show today. And thank you for advocating for free enterprise and lower taxes and prosperity for all. I appreciate it. Thanks, Julio. What a great conversation that was. If you guys want to learn more about the Roman history that I talked about earlier, you guys can go to my dear friend, Bill Federer, He is an awesome guy, and we'll have him on the podcast for extended time. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Also, please subscribe to The Charlie Kirk Show. Type in Charlie Kirk, your podcast provider. Hit that subscribe button. And finally, the first five people that email me your favorite president of the United States gets a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. God bless.